0: This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR, sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. COVID-19 has consumed our minds, hearts for the past four and a half months. Because so many have faced hardship because of this pandemic, we pushed our bodies to do more so we could serve more. Prior to the unexpected school closure, we had established a baseline that estimated for us the number of people in Michigan who struggle with food insecurity to know where their next meals are coming from. That number is 1.4 million people. I remind you that we are a state with a population of about 10 million people. Of the 1.4 million people, between 300 and 400,000 are children under the age of 18, and that leaves roughly 1 million adults over the age of 18 who are food insecure. Food insecurity is brutal. It assaults the body, the mind, and the spirit. Food insecurity is fierce. It is an all-consuming stress that immobilizes, incapacitates, and robs us of our drive, determination, dedication, discipline, and ultimately our destiny. It makes it difficult to think, hear, focus, retain, and therefore achieve. That's why we say, if you're hungry, you only have one problem. Until you can replace the caustic instability of food insecurity with the peace that replaces the hunger pains, we will not be the nation, country, state, county, city, or community that we could be and that some of us see that we can be. A visionary to some, an advocate for those in need, and a humble leader who galvanizes people together, that's our guest today, Dr. Paul Elam. He joins Jerry and me to discuss food insecurity as a public health challenge across college campuses. And he's with us here on Food First Michigan. You come back and be with us too. Welcome back, everyone. Food First Michigan here, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Jerry, you're looking crisp as always. and uh, You know, I'm just to- trying
1: to keep up, man. I am just trying to keep up. Well, run fast,
0: brother. Run fast. <laughs> hey. Well, we got to run fast to keep up with our two guests today. And as promised, uh, Dr. Paul Elam is with us. And Paul, welcome to the show. I can't believe this is the first time you've been on our show. We've got to fix
2: this i know that's right i'm glad to be back in the house with you all last time we were together i think we were on Mackinac, uh getting into some good trouble right yeah <laughs> right
0: <trouble>. that's right <laughs> that's right well anytime you we can associate ourselves with uh, representative john lewis and the good trouble he stirred up that's what we want to do and particularly in this area of food insecurity because it, you know, um, we work on a baseline, Paul, as you know, across the state of 1.4 million people who struggle knowing where their next meals are coming from, and of that group, about 400,000 of them are children, but about 1 million adults, um, and that's age 18 and up, and that's really what we want to talk about today.
2: Wow. Well, we're we're happy to be here uh, to have that conversation with you. I'm here with my colleague Bezil Taylor. From the michigan state university school of social work and we really want to focus the conversation today on food insecurity for our college students uh here in the state of michigan yeah welcome uh, to the show th- thanks for having me i appreciate uh you guys
3: tackling the the topic of food insecurity as, as extensively as you do and i mean obviously doing the work <laughs> that you do behind just the you know the show um but yeah no i'm, I'm glad to be here
0: well, it's great to have you. And uh, I'm telling you, you're keeping great company there with Dr. Paul Elam and a uh, great friend of ours. And, uh, you know, he, he is a guy that does occasionally get into the best, the good trouble. And uh, <laughs> so it's, let's, let's do this, gentlemen. Jerry, let, let me kick it over to you for a minute, because I know Gleaners has been very involved in uh, campus food insecurity uh, within your service area.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the there's there are several really good stories about actions that people have taken to try to reach college students. But just to frame the issue up, college students come from every kind of background and 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 many of them, especially the younger ones that haven't been on their own before and really have never managed a budget before are having a hard time just kind of understanding how this all works like oh i gotta pay a bill ah okay i wish i would have known about that because i just spent all my money bowling or whatever (laughs) so you have some food insecurity that just happens because of the nature of that time in somebody's life Um, but you also have surprising populations at colleges and universities you have people from foreign countries who sometimes don't have a support system in place you have uh, people who are a little farther on in life who may be struggling and college is the way they're going to make success happen in their life. You have a lot of different kinds of stories. And what we know about food insecurity is that when someone's not sure where their next meal is coming from, they're going to spend some time and effort figuring that out. That is particularly important when someone is in college because they're already experiencing many things that fall outside the norm of life. Sometimes they're very familiar, sometimes not at all familiar with the study habits and the living situation and the new people in their life and professors they're trying to figure out. There's just so much stress on college students that, um, that you know they have to manage every day. So you add to that that some really have no means to make ends meet consistently Mm. And now how do you help them succeed? And we know that a lot of students don't succeed. That in fact, they stay in college for a semester or two and then they drop out. Sometimes it's to go to work, sometimes it's to support their families, sometimes it's just out of sheer frustration. So what we wanna be able to do in the colleges and universities where we're present and active like Wayne State University right downtown here in, in Detroit, we wanna take that issue off the table for those students. So with that as kind of the framing of the issue, uh, Paul and Bizil would love to hear from you what your experience has been as you've started to tackle this at MSU.
2: Absolutely, so let me uh, just update you all on where I'm at and then I'll kick it over to Bezel. Uh Last time I spoke with you all, I was president of Public Policy Associates and I, I made a career change two years ago to join Uh, MPHI. Uh, We're a Michigan-based and nationally engaged nonprofit public health institute here in Okemos, Michigan. And I'm serving as chief strategy officer there. And our mission is to work in partnership with organizations to promote health and advance well-being for everyone. I think both of you all know that a part of my um, work has involved looking at disproportionate outcomes and i believe that sound public policy analysis should include an examination of whether all people are being treated fairly and equitably and and obviously uh focusing on the issue of food insecurity is one of our goals and i think the way uh we have laid out policy at the federal and state level we are creating inequitable access to food right and and so we are happy to be in partnership with you um, with with bazil at msu and um, i'm trying to work very closely with governmental philanthropic university non-profit clients to advise on how we advance our decisions in ways that improve social justice and produce equitable outcomes for everyone and so when bazil brought this issue to me um it resonated with me because i can remember being on msu's campus as a graduate student uh there was a food pantry and Uh, Jared, to your point, I used the food pantry. I wasn't um, really excited about going to the food pantry, but I had a wife and I had uh, two children, and I was working. I was a grad student. Um, I was actually on scholarship, but there was a point where I didn't have dinner that night, right? And so I needed to. Mm use the resources that were available. And so Dr. Phil, some folks might believe us with PhDs eat all the time. That's that's right. not true, right? And no, so not, we especially
0: especially when we were, we're earning them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I really wanted to yield my time today to um Bezil, who's a great young man who's trying to continue his work on the campus of Michigan State University. He was planning a form and due to COVID nineteen, all of that was uh Cancel right, and so right. here's an opportunity for for him to talk to us a little bit about um, his concern and the work that he's doing at MSU. Oh yeah, absolutely.
3: Sharing this information and and, and raising awareness even about uh, food insecurity is is one of the most important pieces in that that goes to the uh, the symposium, the the symposium event that that Paul is speaking of. So we we worked with uh, legislators, so uh, House Rep. Julie Brixie. Curtis Hertel, uh, Senator Curtis Hertel, Senator Stephanie Chang, um, and community folks to get together to sort of have this space where the, the issue of, and, and it was basic needs and security overall. So looking at housing, food, I mean, just having access to all the things, you know, there's, there's this weighing scale, you know, you have to, sometimes students end up having to choose which thing they pay for. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, food may be the thing that falls off of that, especially like Paul mentioned, folks who have families and, you know, you need to keep the roof over your head. And then it's secondarily, okay, I need to figure out now where we'll get that food from. So I guess the first thing that I want to do is, is give a huge shout out to our food bank. Uh, we, we had the, uh, the MSU student food bank. Uh, it was founded in, I believe, 1993. Um, so, so that, um, I mean, I, I didn't mean, I don't mean to age you there, Paul,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, you know but but that was the fir- the nation's first student run uh food bank on the college campus um Man. and nicole Edmonds and the folks over there at our food bank are doing such an amazing job and trying to figure out innovative ways to uh create access to food for for our for our student community uh, so if i can move to Access and one of the biggest barriers I believe to access is eliminating the stigma around Accessing those food services Mm -hmm. students students go to college generally Wanting to be a part of a group. They don't want to stand out from the group They don't want to seem like they're not a part of 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 the the in crowd and not having and, and needing that extra support is the thing that does that. So really, I think we need to focus some of our energy. And that's, that was an attempt with the awareness. Some students never heard of food insecure, you know, if we think of students who come from, I don't want to say impoverished, but even working class backgrounds, if you have, you know, there, there's sometimes this, this thought process of when you turn 18, I'm, I'm a grown up now, I have to get out and I have to make way for myself and. I look at universities and I mean, I work at MSU, but I look at those places, the, all those universities and I say, um, there is a responsibility on the university to, to stand up and support those who need it, even if they don't know exactly that they need it. We, we lean on resilience a lot of the times and say, well, sure. you know, people are resilient and they can make it happen, uh, but it, it has to be in conjunction, especially when we have the expensive tuitions that we have around
0: absolutely well you're standing in the gap for students there on the campus of michigan state university gentlemen i i got to take a quick break here but we're going to come back on the other side and pick this challenge up because it is so important and it is one of the lesser known aspects of this uh entire conversation about who's hungry in michigan So, folks come back and be with us we'll be back in just a moment contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back everyone, as promised. uh, Jerry Brisson is here with me as he is every week. And our guest, Dr. Paul Elam, the Chief Strategy Officer for the Michigan Public Health Institute. And Basil Taylor, who is uh, on the campus of Michigan State University. Uh, you know, Bazille, in your, in your uh, humbleness, you didn't really tell us your position or your uh, re- title of responsibility. Uh, so do that for us now. And then I think Jerry's got a question for us.
3: Sure thing. Uh, so I uh, I am in the school of social work. So right now we we recently started an initiative. Um, it is called the Racial and Social Justice Collaborative. Um, so we focus on wide ranging issues uh, centered on race, but making sure that that re- really right now is focused internally. But we plan to expand and, and move to these external partnerships, like with Paul and MPHI. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, looking at uh, other other institutions and. Creating some some cent- centrality, I guess I'll say, uh, surrounding. I, I, I how issues. about
0: momentum? Let's create some positive momentum I, I, absolutely, absolutely. to change this stuff once and for all. That I, that's absolutely. limiting people from becoming who they can be and what they can be. Sorry, I'm all right. No, I pass the offering plate. I'm done preaching <laughs> there for a minute.
2: <laughs> No, I, Dr. Phil is fired up
3: this morning. <laughs> and, and you're exactly right. There, there's a lot of momentum in our country right now, and I think we have to feed on that and keep moving those, those issues yeah. forward. I mean, I think uh, housing and food insecurity are some of those things, the disparities that we see there. But um, well, it we gets played out
0: right there, it gets yeah. played out in those two areas quicker and faster than anyway i'll stop jerry i'm going to give you give you the microphone if (laughs) uh, dangerous as that is here it is brother
1: well at least it's not a camera uh but anyway uh, so so here's the teaser right i agree with you and have seen in my career which spans you know pretty close to 35 years working in basic needs Um, this stigma is a huge deal and people feel ashamed when they have to ask for help. And I don't think that's, I think all of us can relate to that on some level. We set standards for ourselves, and everybody sets standards for themselves, every single person. And so when you fall below what you think that standard should be, you are embarrassed. And when you have to then show the world that you've fallen below the standard you've set for yourself, whether or not it's right is a different issue. But but that it's how you feel and it's and it starts with how you feel about yourself. So fundamentally, I one of the biggest ways to take away that stigma is just to not make it a question. So here's my question to you as people working on this issue on college campuses, if it was the campus policy to say none of our students are gonna be food insecure. As long as you go to school at this university, you will have enough to eat, period. You don't have to worry about asking for it. We will, through whatever means we can, make sure that we're meeting that need for you because it's so important for a college student to be well-nourished. If that were just a practice, if it were spoken out loud, how would that change the stigma around the issue and the way people feel about themselves?
3: Yeah, listen if we think about the practice of supplying food i mean go back to to college days and think about the cafeteria so there there's there's a worry even on campuses about folks sneaking into the cafeteria so el- eliminate that eliminate mm-hmm. you know people's people's worry eliminating people's worry about food creates a space where anxieties are reduced it creates a space where Uh, the focus can be on academics. I mean, for a college student throughout the day, it's two things that they're worried about doing and it's getting their studies taken care of and eating. And if if food is provided by the university in some way, shape or fashion, I mean, look at the, the mission statements of different universities and different units on college campuses, student success is in every one of them. And the data shows us that Having access to food and housing attributes to positive outcomes as it relates to education. We talk about that in K twelve all the time. It relates to college students as well. Um, so I, I think I think immensely to answer your question that students would be immensely more successful with uh, with access to food being a part of the. That's a that's a perk. There are jobs sometimes where if you have access, like you know, that that factors in not having to worry about lunch and going to the job cafeteria. <laughs> It's the same way with college
2: jerry i i think um this isn't just an individual student um burden uh when that decision is made it's a family decision i don't know many folks um you all would have to tell me your your experience sending your children to school where all their educational uh needs were taken care of the money's in the bank right families are struggling with this um what does housing cost? What does tuition cost? What do books cost? Um, what does a food plan cost? And many times uh, they're going into that academic year with all of that burden. How am I going to get out of this experience, right? The goal is to get an education, but all of those things are on the table. So if, if someone told me as a parent, if you send your child to this university, we're taking care of all that. You don't have to worry about that. That's a game changer, right? And so I've, I've got three children who are college age, one just finished her master's, Uh, two are in college right now, and my wife and I are having these conversations every semester about how do we make decisions to make sure our kids have housing, food, and all of the needs to get their academics, right? And so most Americans are dealing with this situation every week if if they have a child in college. Every week my son's reaching out and saying, can I get some money? And most of the time it is to eat.
0: Well, you know that dad is a synonym for ATM.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I keep telling them, boy, money does not grow on trees, so get a job. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Boy. Just what I it's just what we heard too. Jerry, what's your reaction to these uh excellent uh answers to your question?
1: Well, I think thinking systematically about these issues is the most important thing for us to do. And, and uh, Dr. Paul, when you started out talking about your, your passion for looking at this through an equity lens, I do think that it becomes a really important conversation systematically um, to say, okay, so who's most affected by this and how are they treated differently as a result Right. And that's not to, that's not to even look back at how people got where they are. It's here they are. Now, how are we going to treat these people? Right. Hmm. And so I do think that, again, re- revisiting this issue of stigma and saying, so is is our first uh, uh, experience of, oh, my God, what am I going to eat this week going to be an experience of stigma? Is that gonna be the first experience we let somebody have because they just didn't have everything figured out before they got there? Now that's just, the, that's just one group. You can start to lay out all of the other groups. I can tell you, I know a lot of college students who are still helping to support their families and they are working and they have a job. And so they're not just thinking about mm-hmm. themselves and the, their own food needs, but they're actually looking at a family environment that needs support as well. And so is the first experience you want for them one of stigma? One of embarrassment that, yeah, I can't get it all done, so here I am. You know. So I think there are things we can do, by the way, at the pantry level to make people feel welcome and not stigmatized. But I think it's gotta start before that. If you really wanna have an impact, you gotta think about the systems people are walking into and what their experience is gonna be and levels that against what everyone else experience is gonna be. And I think you come to different places. So I'm interested in your guys' reaction to that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think Mazeel makes a good point about how most of our um, safety net programs treat people, right? You, you know, there's always a special program where you have to be identified and removed from the general population. And, and I think from a public policy perspective, we need to think about how that um, contributes to a negative view of oneself and, and how that plays out in our lives and how people respond to that, right? You, you know, you, you you have some type of card to access... Groceries. You have some type of uh, separate space to go to. Um, I think we can rethink all of that, and just as we've Mm. done sort of in a in a housing space, we've uh, created vouchers where people who uh, live below uh, the poverty line can actually live in housing units just like anyone else, right? And and it's sort of uh, behind the scenes in how we provide that funding mechanism. I, I think in the food space, we can do the very same thing. Why do we need a separate pantry? for folks who are food insecure. They should be able to go to the cafeteria as well and, and participate with any other student, right? Um and so I, I think um sometimes our, our thinking just has to evolve. We have great intentions, but but the rollout is is uh, one that contributes to, to this phenomena that Brazil has talked about. And as as students, you know, some students disenroll for, for an experience like that. That's not sure. why I'm here. And uh, we lose somebody who could be promising and contribute to our society because we just rolled out a public policy thought in a wrong way.
0: (laughs) Well, I think those are great thoughts. Brazil, we're going to come back to you, but it's got to be on the other side of the break or they're going to get after me for sure. Uh, So everyone come back, be with us. This is Food First Michigan. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry Brisson is here. We're back in just a few moments. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Food First Michigan. We're back with our guest today, Dr. Paul Elam, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for the Michigan Public Health Institute, and Basil Taylor, our guest from the campus of uh, Michigan State University. And you really got boots on the ground there. So, uh, Bazil, what is your reaction to uh, this whole idea of looking at this from a systemic, um, uh, you know, lens, I guess, so to speak, and, uh, and so, I promised everybody we'd give you uh, the opportunity to react to this. And so now we're all with bated breath. We got to hear what you say. And thank you for how you're uh, how you're making a difference right now on that campus.
3: Oh, thank you. I mean, it's it's a needed it's a needed action um, that I'm taking. And it's not just me. You know, I'm working with a large group of folks from um, our student MSU student parent resource center looking at that population. Sure, um, and it's it's just great work, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, but thinking about systemic change, w- one of the biggest issues is the under or misrepresentation of the number. You know, anytime mm-hmm. a group um, or researchers inside the university attempt to look at numbers, that number will always be lower than what the actual number is because of the stigma, because of you know, just how hidden the population can be. So I think that shouldn't deter us from, Mm -hmm. from still doing those. I mean, we, we need some bigger actions that, that call for the elimination of food insecurity and letting people know that this issue exists and and bringing it to the table. But I think also we need to get some, some qualitative and quantitative data surrounding these things and, and push push forward to those who can make those differences looking at legislators looking at the different um interest groups that that have the ability to put some money toward these issues at a at a state level even not you know this is not, it's not a, a MSU thing this is a all universe if, if folks sure, are coming from absolutely. poverty, um you know i th- well, i think that's one thing we can do
0: well, we, we, we embrace the value of data at the Food Bank Council for our seven Feeding America food banks in this state. I can promise you that. We have a shared value with data, and we want those decisions. But in particular, Paul, we want those policies to be driven by data.
2: Absolutely. And and Jerry said something um, earlier. Um, I don't know if it was in between the segment or, or live, but uh, we have some uh, – models in our state obviously uh Bazille's doing work at msu's campus there are other universities there and and good uh projects start with demonstrations and pilots right and and so i think there's a prime opportunity for us to partner to talk about how we rethink um the whole uh notion of providing college students with access to food um, from a policy perspective i think we're they're not even in mind when we sit down and think about um, our policy response, right? We're, we're thinking about folks who live in poverty in our communities, folks who might be in between jobs, folks who might not be fully employed, but obviously uh, students are a part of that population. And if, if philanthropies were aware of this, I, I think uh, they would uh, definitely contribute uh, to supporting students who ultimately are going to be a part of our workforce and, and uh, contribute to um, um, our economy here here in our state, um, sure. and I think many of the legislators that Brazil is sort of working with, they need these these types of uh, recommendations and partnerships to help make their jobs easier. And so, can we think about shifting the paradigm right now? You know, I I really like the idea <laughs> universities should tell students if you come here, you are going to eat right? Um, mm-hmm. And how do we get there? And so I know MPHI would be uh, a, a willing and eager partner to, to help advance a solution like that within our state. And hopefully we can be a model and example for other states to, and, and recruit students to our state and say, if you come here, uh, we've got, got you taken care of. And I know that's the work that you and, and Jerry are involved in.
1: Well, and when you take that to the next level of impact, who wouldn't want that? I mean, you know, even even starting with a university where you make that a priority and you say this is how we're going to do it. You look at the outcomes from that one thing, and we are certain that if we take hunger off the table, people will be more successful. Students being a, a group of those people. Right. We are certain of it. But when you have the data to back up that certainty then you make your case stronger. So I'm right with you on let's do something really crazy, like say, hey, you don't have to worry about this. Let's watch that take shape and the impact that happens both socially and emotionally, as well as just physically for students. And I think the university is going to be like, man, we should have done this a long time ago and people will want to get on that bandwagon.
0: Well, socially, mentally, physically, but also watch out for the academic success. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just it's just gonna be true across the board. Gentlemen, uh, I really hate to say goodbye to you because this has been great. So I'm just gonna have to say, we're gonna have to do another show. We're gonna have to follow up. One wasn't enough for me. So I hope you'll both agree to come back and be with Jerry and I here on Food First Michigan in future dates.
2: I'm I'm committed to it, looking forward to the next conversation, and uh, go green. Go white. (laughs) I can't do better than that. Jerry and I are
0: back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Prasad is back here with me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to wrap up this show with uh, Basil Taylor and Dr. Paul Elam. Um, Jerry, we've known Paul for some years now and uh, just a tremendous essence of a man and leader. And uh, great to have him on the show. And the young man, Basil Taylor, I, I, I think we can say the same thing about. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's putting his one handful of life to use right now.
1: Well, there's no question, and it's uh, always invigorating to talk to people with the energy and the will to make things better. And, you know, so much of what we've talked about in Food First Michigan on show after show after show is how to pull together all the people you need to make the changes that we need to make to create systems that work better, and that's what's going to create a food-secure community. We got a couple incredible gentlemen here with us on this journey willing to spend their handful of life as you say doctor on an issue that's so important to our community i'm just excited beyond words that uh, we had this conversation
0: so there's a couple of points in the show jerry that i want to get your reaction to and um you know we were talking about uh food insecurity on college campuses which is a little difficult for people to even wrap their head around right um so there's that issue but you know it, we say about um in, in michigan we have a, a third grade reading level uh law that that students should be able to read at third grade by third grade and but you and i say all the time well if they're not well fed they won't be well read well it comes yeah. to me that that reading in college is a little more difficult <laughs> 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 You know? uh, yeah. so if it's true in the third grade i think it's true in the third year
1: well i think also and and you know, we talked about stigma, we talked about systemic change. And I think one of the things to realize is that people, when they're at different times and places in their life, they might need a little extra help. And that is not bad that does not mean they've failed it doesn't mean that something is wrong with them right and yet when you're in a place when you need extra help that's exactly how you feel so there's this broader issue of if we can talk about how how can we make sure that the community from birth through adulthood how do we make sure we have a food secure community in a way that not only says, you know, you're, you're well, that doesn't say you're needy, but rather says you're somebody worth investing in. We've talked about that as a key tenant of our work that people are worth investing in. And that investment pays off for us all. And that, creates a totally different paradigm and framework. And it's really critical.
0: Well, and I have to say congratulations to you because you you, you coined that phrase, but that came out of you. That came out of the essence of who you are as a leader in this movement. And that philosophy, that core philosophy, what says, you know, is if we're going to help people where they're at, rather than where we wish they were. We have to change that paradigm and it can't be, I'm going to do this from a charitable standpoint, even, or I'm going to help you because you're needy. It says, I'm going to, I'm going to walk across the threshold of your life. I'm going to help you achieve because I know that you're worthy of investment. And that's a whole shift. And that really comes out of who you are as a leader in this work for, as you said, I did it almost 35 years. (laughs)
1: Well, doctor, I feel the same uh, about our partnership and our work together and about you as a person. I think I speak for food bankers everywhere that have this philosophy and this idea that we are in this work because we don't think it's a wasted investment, right? We think it's a critical one and we trust and believe in the people that are coming to us for help and we've learned their stories and know their lives well enough to say it is worth every minute and every dollar and every pound of food. I mean, so... Delighted to be continuing this forward and doctor I hope uh, I hope I can say that delighted to be uh, able to uh, relish in your leadership this week, as we think about uh, the Food Security Commission here in in our own very state which you are chairing and so doctor what an incredible accomplishment and recognition of your work and your philosophy and your ability as a leader. Congratulations.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. I, we are very proud of uh, the work of this network. And uh, I think it has elevated the, not only the issue of food insecurity, but the the philosophy that we have that we can solve this problem. Um, And I'd have to, I'd be remiss not to say that this governor, Governor Whitmer, who is um, leading us in this state and has uh, established commissions with very clear objectives and purposes, uh, both with health disparities and with anti poverty, now has created a food security commission that we talked about with her on this very show when she yes, was, sir. A, uh, was a candidate. So mm-hmm. I'm. I always uh, am proud to work with people who uh, keep their word and she has certainly done that. And i um, proud we're and we're gonna do our best in the commission and, uh, and see what we can do to move this forward.
1: And we're gonna update our listeners on this show about that work and how it's helping us create a food secure state. I'm excited, doctor, and again, very proud of you.
0: Congratulations to all of us. Thank you, Jerry. Time for a little food for thought. To find something, you have to look. Well, occasionally, you might happen upon something that's been missing and you just happen to find it when you weren't even looking for it. But for the majority of the time, you have to look to find something. And your hungry neighbors are like that. You'll have to look to find them. They are there, and of that, there is no doubt. 1.4 million of them. And they may be in some of the most unlikely places, like college campuses. They may be the kid moving slowly because their bodies are telling them it needs food to convert to energy. It may be a quick or overreaction by a neighbor over a seemingly small item. I think that term is called hangry. Food security is a public health issue. It is a challenge that impacts every part of our being. Let's fix it and let's do so by putting and keeping food first folks, food first.